Welcome to episode 121 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Neumeyer. Greetings, John. What's new? So for our topic this week, I'd like to explore a little bit the culture of the so-called open organization. Uh, the open organization has its roots, uh, or some of its roots, in open source software, where, as we know, people collaborate uh, for the good of the cause and contribute what they, uh, what they can and what they have time for. And as we know, many uh, companies have been built up around the, uh, the foundations of open source. And I've noticed as the creative class economy, the the digital economy, the uh, sort of science-driven and uh, software-driven economy come to the fore, we've really got new types of organizations where creative class people are finding new ways to work together. And there are certain tenets or ethics or um, philosophies that help organize, you know, this kind of uh, uh, these kinds of workers and kinds of people together uh, that are slightly different from the 20th century counterparts, which uh, you know we, or at least I, entered the 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 workforce being a part of these hierarchical or organizations, are giving way to uh, more open structures, more transparent. Uh, sharing of information in these structures. And I think it's beginning to really take hold in terms of uh, large organizations adopting it, as well as uh, you know, smaller organizations like our own Involution Studios has some elements of the open organization. So I thought that would be a good topic for the two of us to dig into today. Sounds great. So... I wanted to start off with uh, the idea of having transparency uh, within the organization. So uh, sharing of information and letting people know, uh, you know what uh, might have been deemed sensitive info at one point is, is a hallmark of uh, the so-called open organization. So that can extend to things like People's salaries uh, over at Whole Foods, for instance, you can uh, look up anybody's salary, your boss's salary, your boss's boss. Um, and that creates a certain kind of environment that uh, hopefully begets trust um, or a greater trust of the organization because that information is at you know, your fingertips or at least available for the asking. So when I joined Involution, one of the one of the tenets that that we you know talked about here was you know telling the truth, being transparent, uh, both internally and uh, externally to our clients. And I know that that uh, for me that was a slightly uh, different approach because I had always been part of hierarchical or more hierarchical organizations where information was kept. Uh, hidden at times, especially you know something sensitive like uh, salary information wouldn't have been shared amongst uh, people at at other organizations I was a part of. Dirk, when when you and and Yuhan were sort of sussing out the the level of openness and this idea of t- 
tell the truth. What, um, you know, what were sort of the influences and, and the reasons you did that? And, and how do you feel about that level of openness within our, um, within our operations here? Yeah, I think there's a couple of, of aspects to it. I mean, one is, you know, for, for Yuhan, you know, the idea of openness and transparency is something that goes back a long time um, and is very core to him philosophically. So that was something that he brought in just as, as an assumption. And I think that he had tried to implement with past employers, but you know, especially, you know, going back to the early to mid 2000s, even the 1990s, as you might imagine, that was met with limited success, right. um, depending, depending on the place. You know, from my perspective, I, I was certainly accustomed to um, the more traditional closed organization. But, you know, my personal philosophies outside of work are, um, you know, socialist or even communist in nature, which is to say, um, you know, it's it's not about uh, power and control and and top down. It's about everybody's in this together, creating healthy environments. And for the whole history of involution, I mean, that's something that I had aggressively been doing in, in pretty pretty unusual and, and progressive ways, um, but not to include, you know, the specific things of the radical transparency. And so, you know, our, our sort of different takes on it, you know, we're, we're able to, to come together and... Um, and for me, I can tell you the the radical transparency initially was was a little bit more uncomfortable. You know, the, mm -hmm. the reality, but the reality of it is different than than the line, right? So, you know, Yuhan will certainly position it as pretty much as radically transparent as anybody possibly could. And I think, um, you know, I think while we live that in a realistic way, I mean. The reality is it's radical transparency does not mean like the financials are printed out and pasted on a bulletin board and people are just meandering by and looking at them or on a website. I mean, that information is, is closed. Um, you know, if an employee asked and said, hey, you know, what, what are the sales like? What, what kind of revenues do we do here? I mean, I'd be happy to open a report, bring them over, show it to them and talk to them. Um, but it's not like... <sighs> I, there's there's still some degree of editorial um, discretion in terms of this is a chunk of of info that we're going to proactively make visible to everyone, and um, this is info that if someone asks, even though we haven't chosen to proactively make it visible, uh, we will reveal it, we will share it, and and talk about it, and. I think that's really important. I mean, you know, as someone who is a proponent of transparency, I can tell you that there are positives to no transparency. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when nobody knows what anybody makes, uh, there aren't the same opportunities for jealousy, for greed to come out, um, sort of for the, the, the weaknesses of human nature to to infiltrate, you know, you're making what you're making and other people are making what they're making and you, you don't see it. And it's an ignorance is bliss kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, that manifests in various different ways in, in a corporation in particular. So, um, it's definitely not all wine and, and roses. Um, you're, you're opening yourself up in, in your information transparency to negative unintended consequences. Um, 
real negative unintended consequences, just depending on the the sort of maturity and emotional stability um, of of the people who who are working for you. But the the philosophy of transparency and openness is something that I'm fully on board with and am proud as part of what we do. But it's also not exactly what it sounds like. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any information that if an employee asked about it, I wouldn't show them. Right. But it, it, we are proactively pushing out not that much more than random other company, I don't think. Um, so the, at least here, the manifestation of it isn't, you know, when you hear radical transparency, and certainly when I was first introduced to and thinking about those things, it was scary because of the, the chaos and the volume of it all. But that's that's not really the way it works here. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's a freedom of information. So, um, you know, the information is available, but it's not a fire hose of, of open data that's being thrust upon employees at any you know, at any given time. And it's probably worth noting that it's something that you work at. So I, I imagine in larger organizations, there are, there are more policies about openness that are, um, you know, that sort of describe and frame it. Whereas I think we come at some of these things in a more ad hoc fashion, as you said, you know, if there's, if there's a, a reasonable request around uh, information that we have, then, then of course, you know, we want to share it uh, internally. I I do think, and I've noticed this from from the creative team building aspects that there that making that statement that that we're committed to radical transparency and then uh, trying our best to to get there does engender trust with you know new people who enter the organization because it it is so different from from the way other. Uh, organizations be, may be structured, and just the fact that we are, uh, you know, saying to them, "We trust you," having just entered into the organization, you know, sort of putting out that olive branch, I, I think, gets reciprocated uh, more often than not. Uh, so, so taking that risk—I mean, it is a risk, right? To to be transparent does beget trust because. Um, you know, you're, you're exposing yourself and, uh, you know, that information uh, to, to people that, that may not have, quote, earned it, right, uh, just yet. Uh, so, so I think at that level, it's, it's very, very, uh, uh, you know, it's successful and uh, it, it's also something that, uh, that, that requires constant work and, and vigilance to make sure that we're uh, adhering to that as best we can. So the uh, another sort of aspect to the open organization is uh, authenticity. So sort of being what you say you are um, in, in the most uh, simple of, of, of definitions, but, but having a, a culture that is, you know, and this goes with, with the transparency part, is, is not... Uh, deceptive, but, you know, is geared towards, uh, you know, sort of the truth of, of, of what it is that we're doing and striving for. Um, on the authenticity part of the open organization, I think uh, that, that we, we do that pretty well because we're pretty, pretty uh, honest with ourselves about, about 
what we are and what we want to do. And I think that that trend is is very deeply embedded uh, in in your own uh, personality as well, Dirk. Am I correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, going down the path of authenticity, I would actually change the culture, make it far more radical here than it is. Mm -hmm. um, something, something that I proposed to Yuhan a number of years ago was that the employees on a project team determine among themselves um, how much of a proportion of the revenues we get should be split among them as their compensation. Um, so, you know, you have N people who are working on a project and the re based on the revenue of the project, you know, Y percentage of that revenue is allocated to team compensation. And then, you know, as payments come in, it's the members of the team basically voting shares to each other mm -hmm. um, of, of how they should be compensated based on the work that they did. And each employee, you know, is bringing to bear their own perception of, you know, what did Johnny do? What did Sue do? Mm -hmm. What did Kelly do? Um, and deciding, you know, deciding what that should look like with, you know, with an, a, an aspect that allows management to, um, to override, you know, parts of it. If it's, if you're in a situation where, you know, there's somebody who nobody likes and that they're, they're getting stiffed, you know, but, um, Aside from that, you know, having having the, the the total compensation be be so transparent as you guys see this bucket of money coming in, this portion of that bucket is going straight to you, and now you figure out where it should go. I mean, to me, that's how a company should be run. That's how a company um, should be structured, especially a services company like ours, where you know it's all about the the time and and contributions um, and. You know, philosophically, things I like about it, which I'm sure some of this runs afoul of HR law and, you know, all the legal bullshit mm -hmm. that, that we deal with is, you know, if there's somebody who is consistently getting low shares, you know, the organization is selecting them out, you know, um, the other people are are saying, you know, you're, you're, the work you're doing isn't having an impact or you're not putting in enough effort or, you know, culturally you are a detriment to what's going on. Like whatever the specifics in that condition are. I mean, I, I think that employees should move around more um, around fit. You know, if you really fit somewhere and are happy and, and, and contributing and, um, you know, you should be in a place at a long time. You should, you should really dig in. But if that's not happening, if, you know, you're just kind of hanging on for the paycheck, people, people should be, be moving around more. But maybe I'm starting to go a little bit, a little bit. Um, no, that's very, inter very interesting. And, and related to the, to the, you know, the, the open organization, I think. And, and just as, as um, uh, sort of scaffolding around this, this is, um, you know, may, maybe not all of these particular practices that we're, we're mentioning in the context of Involution Studios. But the idea of the open organization, the idea of um, structuring uh, creative and, uh, and digital organizations differently because of the nature of either the products you produce or, you know, the, you know, the, the innovation economy that we're all a part of. I mean, that is... I, there's a wave of companies that are that are coming, you know, this way. We, you know, we've mentioned Whole Foods, um, Pixar, Zappos, Red Hat, all have elements of this that are that are incorporated into their um, their structure and culture. So I think, you know, as a small studio, we have an advantage in that we can experiment and. Um, um, you know, prototype things, you know, a lot more quickly, and perhaps there are. 
um, fewer consequences to us, you know, pulling something back if it doesn't work. Um, but but I think it's it's very interesting to me that the the nature of of work and the creative class finding a way to work together is you know is undergoing change and and it just startles me every time. Uh, I encounter it because as as a Gen Xer, I have one foot, you know, in the, uh, you know, the industrial age uh, structures and one foot in the digital age structures. Um, and and they, they're very incongruous with each other. And, and so I'm often surprised at the at, at the level of change that's coming with with this kind of organization. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, you know, how manifest the change really is. I'm always very suspicious sure. of big corporations doing stuff like this. I mean, you know, using using this the employee compensation as an example, and I might be wrong here, by the way, because I haven't looked at the data mm -hmm. myself, but I'm suspicious that they're really doing an apples to apples total compensation comparison. You know, if 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 um you know, if a Whole Foods is doing that, I'm, I'm suspicious that the CEO's total compensation of salary, stock options, private jet, all the bullshit, um, I don't, I doubt that's wrapped in there. And so, you know, it's, it's again, sort of a, a false transparency. It's an inauthentic transparency. Um, you know, because I think if the reality was there, I don't think people would be very happy. You know, one of, one of the things that we've always done at Invo is once someone's a full-time employee here, um, they're going to make no less than one-fourth of what the highest paid person makes. So whereas in a typical corporation, the CEO is making, I don't know, thousands times more, you know, tens of thousands times more than the lowest paid employee, for us, the, the top, the, the, the quote unquote CEO will make no more than four times mm -hmm. more. And so, you know, I mean, somebody could argue that even four times more is too much in theory or, um, you know, a, a, a bitter capitalist could argue it's um, way too little. But to us, it's a number that feels right. It feels humane. It feels appropriate. Um, and it's something we feel good about and, and proud about. And mm -hmm. can say, you know, um, we're, we're, we're having some, some level of scale, some level of reasonableness to the lifestyles that we're affording for everyone from the most junior person up to the people who own the organization. Um, so, you know, corporations are so freaking far away from that that to me the whole thing just feels like a – it just feels like a farce. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, yeah, I, I love that uh, that critical view that you always that you always bring to the analysis, Dirk. I think it's really uh, really helpful. Um, the the last element of the open organization that I wanted to discuss with you today was the idea of of access. So the the flat. Uh, the flat hierarchy. So once again, easier to do in in a small shop, but the idea that anybody's idea is worthy of consideration, and that there aren't uh, layers uh, where certain um, things get vetted and then and then sort of pushed up into the into the management layer for approval. You know, having that flat hierarchy is is actually quite conducive to an open design studio like ours i think that maybe it it rubs the wrong way when you know there are organizations that require sort of levels of approval for things to to uh 
to move forward, uh, you know, permissions to be given, uh, what have you. But for us, and and since the design process is really very much about, um, you know, bringing lots of different elements together and, and melding them together, I, I think, you know, access and that sort of flat hierarchy are, are quite advantageous for the design studio. What, what's your take on the, on the, uh, on the flat hierarchy? Yeah. I mean, you know, flat is good. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a byproduct of a correct solution though, and not the correct solution itself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of what I call human scale business. So, you know, to me, um, for a services business like ours, the person who owns the company should be involved, you know, on a near daily basis with every employee in the company. A person who owns a services business like ours should be in involved with every client in the company on, on you know, a regular basis. Um, there should be direct personal relationships and connections from the person at the top of the company to each of the employees and to, you know, we have big clients, so this is possible. It's not as possible in a consumer company um, to all of the customers as well. Um, that's, you know, that's where you're going to get better, better results and just a better, better quality of life for everyone involved, including the clients. You might be, you know, working at some brain dead major corporation but in your dealings with us, in your dealings with a service provider, those should be human interactions. You should feel um, very important because you are important, that the people who are uh, running the show are aware of you, have talked to you, uh, care about you, and are invested in what's going on with you. Um, so, you, you know, to me, uh, flatness, it should be a byproduct of it being a small organization. Um, you know, it's uh, far be it for me to use terrorism as an analogy, but it's like the, you know, the, the terrorist cell idea where each, each group, each business, to me, should be a, a small, nimble, um, largely autonomous thing where the people who are involved are, are just deeply deeply involved with one another and focused narrowly on shared uh, goals and objectives and, and ways of doing business. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're focused obviously on, uh, on, uh, creating goodness rather than, uh, terrorism. But I, I take your, <laughs> I take your point. The, uh, the, uh, you know, the special cell or the special group that, uh, uh, that is highly involved with, with one another, um, is, you know, at least for us, the way to go. Yeah. And listen, I mean, listen, the terrorists, they went to cells because what they do is life and death. I mean, it's, it's horrible, but it's life and death. Like they're trying to do these awful things. And if they get caught doing it, they're executed. They're thrown in prison forever. Like it's, it's a huge deal. And, and, and the bureaucracy, the, the, the communication breakdowns, the, um, you know, defections and disloyalty of, people in these bigger organizations led to an understanding that the optimal way of operating is a more, um, you know, network, um, you know, a network of individual cells loosely joined way of doing business for what their business is. So we in, in capitalist America, as we're wealthy in our cars, our air conditioning, our, you know, getting food flown in from all over the world to, you know, places far and wide. I mean, we're, we're, we're sedate, we're comfortable. So we don't, we don't need to really make the changes. You know, it's, it's a much slower moving, more non-essential thing, but for, 
you know, for organizations for which it's life and death, it's, it's been, it's been clearly identified that the top down command and control, large bureaucratic structure is crazy and, and cells that are, are networked are, are the way to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to wrap our conversation today on, on open organizations, Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. If you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Or email me, Dirk, at goinvo.com. So that's it for episode 121 of The Digital Life. I'm John Follett for Dirk Neumeyer. We'll see you next time. <laughs>